So you've heard me talking for several months about the fact that I'm uh, planning a, now it's a two-week bike ride in October. I'll be leaving on October 2nd, coming back on the 17th, and uh, riding back east. I've been looking forward to this for, I don't know, six or seven months. And so I'm preparing to go on a trip. I don't know how it is that you prepare to go on a trip. Are, are any of you those people that the night of Friday, October 1st, you would now be packing and getting ready to leave the very next day? Yeah, I, I get a couple of hands. I, I have friends that were leaving the, on a three-week trip, and I made the simple comment, so you're all packed and ready to go, right? Oh, no, 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 we'll wait till the night before. Well, I have been packing already, and I've already got my panniers sort of kind of started out. I uh, made my plane reservation back in July. I uh, had to make a reservation for my bicycle on the train. And so I've been putting some things together, and I put them in plastic bags because you can squeeze all the air out and they take less room, right? And so there's my uh, kit for the first day I ride. There's my windbreaker because it's supposed to be windy. Um, I've got some electronics so my phone doesn't go dead and my bike computer. Um, I am ready. Well, not really ready, but I'm getting ready. I'm one of those people that, that plans ahead. And I like to know that everything doesn't know how to open this thing. There we go. And so the most important part is in here. That's my food. And so... No, no, no. There's a lot more. But I don't want to carry it off for 14 days. So when you're going on a trip, whether you plan ahead the night before or whether you plan for several weeks like I am, um, if you had been with Jesus... The day he gave his disciples their orders to go out on a mission for him, uh, you would have been pretty uncomfortable with the instructions that he gave. Um, I I was reading this this last week and meditating on this and thinking, I would have been incredibly uncomfortable if I'd been in that group of 12 guys and had these instructions that Jesus was giving to them. And so I want you to come with me again to Mark's Gospel. We're in chapter 6. And uh, we're going to look at uh, the disciples being sent out on their first mission. Now, it's good to remember that the disciples have been with Jesus now, I've said, for maybe a year and a half, maybe a little more, right? So what have they experienced in that year and a half plus with Jesus? What's their experience been? Healing lepers, casting out demons, Healing a man with a withered hand. Healing a paralytic that was lowered through the roof by his four friends. They have been with Jesus, watching him do all these things. They've listened to him speak and, and teach in the synagogues. They have listened to him speak and teach on the seaside. They have been with Jesus this whole time. And now, he's telling them, it's your turn. You go. And so, as Mark chapter 6 opens, Jesus is returning to Nazareth, his hometown. Jesus went out from there and came into his hometown, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and the many listeners were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom given to him? And such miracles as these performed by his hands. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at Jesus. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, among his own relatives, and in his own household. 
And he could do no miracle there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he wondered at their unbelief. And he was going around the villages teaching. And he summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs. And gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey. Except a mere staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belt. But to wear sandals. And he added, do not put on two tunics. And he said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. Any place that does not receive you or listen to you as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. They went out and preached that men should repent. And they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick and healing them. So I want to suggest to you this morning that just as Jesus sent the twelve out on this trip, out on this journey that he planned for them, he has sent you and me on the exact same journey. We're on the exact same mission that his disciples were sent on. And so there's, there's several big ideas that kind of occur to me as I reflect on this passage and, and understand what Jesus said. So understand this morning that these six ideas that I want to share with you were true of Jesus' instructions to his disciples on this occasion. And they are true for you and me today in the 21st century. And so the first thing that impresses me as I read these words uh, down in verses 7 and 8 is that the disciples went out under the authority and with the authority of Jesus. It says he gave them authority, power, the right. He gave them authority to go. And then it says that he instructed them. And the word instructed is a fascinating word in the original language. The word instructed was used in a military context of an officer giving instructions to those under his charge. And when a military officer gave instructions to those under his charge, his expectation always was what? Instantaneous, unquestioned response of obedience. So this word instructed had a military use. It also had a legal use in the court system of the day. The word instruction would be similar to in our day today if you were to receive a summons from the court to appear. And in that culture, if you received a summons from the court to appear and you failed to appear, the consequences were very severe. was used in the medical world of a doctor giving a prescription to a patient, instructions to be followed. Of course, the expectation is uh, when you get instructions for a prescription from your doctor, the doctor's expectation is that you're going to do what? Take the medicine, right? Anybody else ever not taken a medicine the doctor prescribed for you? Did you go get it filled and still not? Yeah. Um, the word was also used in kind of an ethical sense, and it described a person of integrity responding to teaching, to instruction. A person of integrity would respond and follow the instructions that were given. And so, interestingly, as this passage is written, the Holy Spirit through Mark uses this word, instructed. And so... The, the thought that has impressed me is that you and I go 
under the authority of King Jesus. It's not my mission. It's not your mission. It's his mission. Jesus' mission. And so when we go to serve King Jesus, we are going as his representative. We're going in his place. We are speaking for him. We are his representatives in the culture and in the world in which you and I live. I find myself frequently in the morning before I leave, typically my wife and I pray together. And I find myself frequently praying, Lord, remind me today, remind us today that we are your representatives wherever we go. Help us to represent you well. And you know, I find myself sometimes responding to the, the kind of the stupid things that happen in the course of a day. I find myself responding maybe to people who um, just seem to be dealing with me in a way that just screams at me incompetency. And I want to I react and I want to respond. Um, it's helpful to remember I'm not out here for Roy. I'm out here representing Jesus. And so wherever I go, wherever you go in the course of your day, whether it's to the grocery store, whether it's to work, whether you're standing in line at the DMV, we need to remember what? I represent Jesus here. So we go under the authority of Jesus. Paul even says you and I are his ambassadors. Representing Jesus. We go under his authority. The second thought that impressed me here was the fact that the mission is urgent. Um, it says in, in verse 8, He instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey. Does that suggest urgency to you? Don't take anything. Go. Now, of course, that's follow, and we're going to look at that in just a minute. But the, but the thought that struck me when Jesus says take nothing is that the mission is urgent. The mission is important. The reason you and I are here on planet Earth is because the mission God's entrusted to us the mission that Jesus has called us on matters. It's important. It's urgent. The scripture says, today is the day of salvation. Hebrews 9.27 says, it's appointed unto man once to die and then judgment. So there's no reincarnation. You can't come back and fix what you messed up the first time around, right? It's appointed unto man once to die and then judgment. Someone has said the ultimate statistic is what? <coughs> 10 out of 10 people die. If my numbers are correct, 150,000 people die on this planet every single day. 150,000 people die on this planet. That's two people every second. Two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve. Our mission is urgent. You know, and, and I was, I, I couldn't tell you why this thought occurred to me this week, but I found myself thinking in the scriptures of how often the scriptures remind us that life is brief. Our life is compared to a shadow that passes. It's compared to that vapor of, of breath that you see on a cold morning that's there and gone. Life is brief. Our mission is urgent. It's good to be reminded of that. That the reason we're here should cause us to respond with a sense of urgency. Uh, the third thing that struck me here in this passage is that we are totally dependent on the Lord and His provision. He says that first, He says, take nothing. 
And then he says, except a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belt, wear sandals, and do not put on two tunics. So take no food, take no bag to put food in, <laughs> you know, um, you're, you're dependent. Oh, and by the way, Matthew, when he records this, this incident in the life of Jesus, he adds that Jesus told them, don't worry about what you're going to say, I'm going to give you the words to say. And so as we go on our mission, we're totally dependent on who? Jesus. It's not up to me, it's not how smart I am, how well trained I am, how brilliant I am, how good of a speaker I am. It all depends on Jesus. The scripture talks about that over and over again, doesn't it? I even think this morning in the song we were singing, you know, I'm never alone in the fire, in the seas. He's always there, he's always present, and he's always fully able to provide me with whatever I need. We are totally dependent on this mission. And I find so often we find ourselves thinking we're inadequate. I'm inadequate to have a conversation with this person because he has a PhD. Or I'm inadequate to have a conversation with this person because he's at a higher socioeconomic level. Or what we we oftentimes are impressed with how inadequate we are instead of being impressed with what? We have an adequate God. No, he's more than adequate, isn't he? He's more than adequate. And the the scriptures emphasize that over and over again. He is able to do uh, abundantly, above and beyond all the master things. Nothing's too difficult for him. I may be inadequate, but I have an adequate God. And so we go on mission under Jesus' authority. We go with a sense of urgency, and we go with this, this confident assurance that we're dependent on him for his provision. Just like the apostles, we go calling people to repentance. That's a part of their mission all the way down in verse 12. It says, they went out and preached that men should repent. You know, that's not a new, that's not a new message, right? That's not a new message. That people need to be called to repent. The need for repentance is there because why? What causes there to be a need for repentance? little thing called sin, right? And almost everybody has sinned, right? Everybody. There you go, Tom. Get the, get, the, get the equation correct. All have sinned. So all need to come to repentance. And so you start it all the way back in the book of Genesis and all the way through this book. The Old Testament prophets were constantly calling people to return to the Lord. Turn to the Lord. Return to the Lord. Turn away from your false idols. Turn away from you know, your foreign gods. Turn, 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 return, return. That theme is constant throughout the Old Testament. And the New Testament opens and John the Baptist appears on the scene. And what's his message? Repent. Why? For the kingdom of God is at hand. And then when John's arrested... Mark chapter 1 and verse 15, we saw that several weeks ago. Jesus then started preaching. What was his message? Repent and believe the gospel. And so the, the message of John the Baptist, the message of the Old Testament prophets, the message of Jesus is now the exact same message he gives to the apostles. 
and that he gives to you and to me. We call people to repentance. People need to know that God loves them, right? People need to know that God wants to have a relationship with them, right? But people also need to know that there's a barrier between them and God. A barrier that hinders, prohibits that relationship. And that barrier is called sin. And so there's a need to to call people to repentance. We need to do that. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us the heart of our God. It says that the Lord is not slow as some people count slowness. He's not slow. He's patient. Why? Because He's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. That's the heart of our God. And that needs to be on my radar, on your radars, as we meet people, as we engage with people. That God loves you, God wants to have a relationship with you, but, but, there, but there's this problem, there's this thing that hinders and separates. We need to call people to repentance. I find that's a message that's not often uh, well received. In many Christian circles, it's not well received. We don't like to talk about sin. We don't like to talk about repentance. But without repentance, there's no forgiveness. And that's why the scriptures call us to repentance and faith. That we turn away from sin and put our faith and trust in the Lord. Just as the apostles were sent on mission, speaking of repentance, so you and I, likewise. The other thing that impresses me in this passage, I think this is number five on my list, is that just as the apostles went out and as Jesus prepared them, he was preparing them for both the fact that people would be receptive to their message, but that there would also be people that would do what? Reject the message. And so I go on mission for Jesus in the 21st century, Confident that I'm his ambassador, that he's with me to provide for my needs. The mission is urgent. I want to call people to repentance. And the truth of the matter is, there's going to be some who respond positively. And they receive the message. There's some that are going to reject. Uh, Did Jesus experience any rejection? If you were paying attention, by the way, back up in the first six verses. Jesus goes to his hometown, Nazareth, where he grew up. He grew up as a young boy playing in the streets with his playmates. He grew up into his teenage years doing what teenage boys do together. He grew up uh, probably in the carpenter shop with his dad, right? They refer to him as the carpenter. So they would, some of those people in Nazareth might have things that were made for them by Jesus in the carpenter shop. Maybe they have a yoke for their oxen or an end table or a table for their television to be on. I don't know. But... Isn't it fascinating that Jesus goes to his hometown and this is their response. Who is this guy? Where did he get this learning? Isn't this just Jesus? And then they have a line in there that really quickly read over the son of Mary. In this culture, you never referred to a person as the son of a mother. They were always the son of their father. And so that's why you have names like Simon Bar Jonah, son of Jonah. So Jesus would have been Jesus Bar Joseph. 
But no, they say he's the son of Mary, implying illegitimate birth. Jesus receives no honor in his hometown. And Jesus draws three circles. Three circles of dishonor. The first circle, he says, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. So here's his hometown, a few hundred people probably in that day. Not, no honor. Among his own relatives, his extended family, no honor. And now the smallest circle is what? His family. His immediate family. No honor, no respect. Rodney Dangerfield had nothing on Jesus, right? Talk about no respect. And then you play beyond that to the response of the religious leaders of the day and their plans and schemes to try to kill him. Jesus knew rejection. And you and I are going to experience it too. I don't know if any of you have experienced rejection by family, friends, but it's not an uncommon experience. And so when when we go in the power of the Holy Spirit, as the scriptures reminded us in John in Acts chapter one, as Pauline read for us, that after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you'll you'll receive power. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And even though we go in the power of the Holy Spirit under the authority of Jesus, there's going to be rejection. We should we should expect that, right? I remember when I uh, worked at a sales job for a year back in '93. When I was hired, the only reason I got hired was because my good friend Bob was the national sales manager, and his boss was willing to interview me and consider hiring me. And uh, his boss, uh, Dwight, told me in my interview that he didn't think I could do the job. And uh, he said, I don't think, because you've been a pastor all these years, I don't think you can handle rejection, because you've, you've probably not experienced much of that. If only that were true, right? If only that were true. I don't like rejection. I discovered that in that one year trying to sell business forms and computer supplies. I don't like rejection at all. And when you share the gospel with someone, it, it, it sometimes is just uh, it just grips you that someone just is unable to believe. And so, when you have the opportunity to have a spiritual conversation with someone and share the gospel with them, there's going to be three possible responses as I think about it. The one is you're going to have a positive response. Those are exciting times, right? Where someone says, yes, I understand. Yes, it makes sense to me. Yes, I want to trust Jesus as my Savior. Yes. You know, that's exciting time. The second response is what I call the delayed response. The seed has been planted. The person's not, you know, opposed or angry or hostile. The seed's been planted, and their response is just simply... I need to think about this. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing. I think people should take time to make an important decision. I'm not opposed to that. Let's talk some more. Let's answer some questions some more. I'm good with that. So I I think of those two responses as being good. Then, of course, the third response is rejection. No, I don't. It doesn't make sense to me. That's not something I want to do. Okay. But two out of three are good, right? Does someone, one person say right? Okay, there we go. What's that? Two out of three ain't bad. 
as the song goes. So two out of three, again, I've told you I'm not a math person, I'm a word person, but two out of three is 66%, right? Or those of you that are really picky, it's 66 and two-thirds percent. So 66%, is that is that a good return on your investment at the bank or the stockbroker, 66%? Would you go for that? You know, if I could have, if I could have batted six sixty six, I would be in the pros today, right? Well, not at seventy one, I wouldn't be. But um, so sixty six percent is good. And so I think about that, and then there's a couple of passages of scripture that that speak to me because we have a tendency to think that when someone rejects, when someone responds negatively, that that's a bad thing, and it is a bad thing in one way. But then I read these two passages of Scripture and I'm encouraged. In 1 Peter 4.14, Peter says, If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. You ever been reviled for your faith? You ever had someone mock and laugh and make fun? Jesus says when that happens, guess what? You are what? Blessed. I take a little bit of courage in that. And then I like the words of Jesus in Luke 6, verses 22 and 23. He said this, Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. When that happens to you because of your faith and trust in Jesus and because you're on mission talking to people about Jesus, Jesus says to you and to me to do what? Be glad in that day and leap for joy. Your reward in heaven is great. Do you ever feel like being glad and leaping for joy in that situation? But that it, there's like this special blessing that Jesus gives in those times of rejection. You are blessed. Leap for joy. Leap for joy. So in a real sense, you have successfully communicated the gospel message. You have been on mission for Jesus. You have shared the gospel message. You've had that sense of urgency depending on Him and all the things we talked about. And somebody rejects and is hostile. It's still a win. It's still a win because the gospel has been proclaimed. When we faithfully proclaim the gospel message, we're doing what God has called us to do. Who is responsible for the results? Jesus, the Lord is responsible, not me, not you. So, the only time that I lose is when I fail to faithfully share the message. That's the only time I lose. Everything else is a win. Win, win, win. Sharing the good news on mission for Jesus. Expect rejection. And I don't like it, but I expect it. I've learned to expect it. My sixth idea actually isn't found in Mark, but as I was reading the parallel passage in Matthew, uh, in Matthew chapter 10, the same account is there. My sixth thought is we are compelled by knowing that lost people matter to our God. Lost people matter. Matthew adds in his uh, account of this portion of Jesus' life, and he says... Do not go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but go to who? The lost sheep of Israel. Our God cares about 
lost people. And Jesus said when he came, he said, I came to seek and to save the lost. And so our Lord, our Lord Jesus cares about lost people. And you think about the parables that Jesus told in Luke 15, the lost coin, the lost sheep. And and each of those two stories, the response of celebration, there's joy and celebration in heaven when one person repents. God cares about lost sheep. And of course the story of the prodigal son that follows those two, the lost coin and the lost sheep, is the same message. God cares about lost people. As I reflect on that, the question that occurs to me is, do I care about lost people? Jesus does. Do I care? Do we care? Does it matter to us that people are lost? That people are on their way to, yes, what we oftentimes simply call a Christless eternity. But people are on their way to hell because of sin and a failure to repent and put their faith and trust in Jesus. And so you and I are on mission for Jesus. We go under His authority. We have urgency. We're dependent on Him. We're calling people to repentance. We're expecting rejection as well as receptive response. We care about lost people. That's why Jesus sent His disciples out. So two questions occurred to me this morning. My, My first thought is this. What can we do together as a church family to be more focused on our mission? What can we be doing together to be reaching lost people for Jesus? And I don't know everything that God has in mind, but you know, yesterday morning, 14 of us went to Fruit Street for Fruit Street, that's in my town. Front Street, which I understand is like one of the original streets in early, early, early Norwalk. And uh, it's just, I don't know, can I call it kind of a run-down, attractive to homeless and other types of people? Um, It was a mess. And some of us were picking up trash, pulling weeds, picking up all this junk that people had dumped out there. Um, others were doing, you know, uh, our two nurses were sweeping the street when I took their picture. Um, you know, we, we were hard at work. Uh, we worked up a sweat. The sun came out. But what was so cool is most of us had our blue Heights of Grace shirts on. And it was so obvious that we were all in the, all the same group. And we had people come to us and ask, who are you guys and what is this? And I just thought the whole morning, we are kind of elevating and expanding that the heights of grace umbrella. That heights of grace, you know, extends even into Norwalk, right, Ben? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, we, had, we went, and uh, I prayed before we went. We gathered here in the parking lot, and I prayed that God would give us uh, spiritual conversations. We'd have opportunity to engage with people. I prayed that we might even have opportunity to pray with someone today. Someone while we're out cleaning. Someone where while we're, while we're out working. And I don't know what everybody else's experience was because we didn't really get together afterwards to debrief. We just kind of all collapsed and went home. But the Lord gave me an opportunity to engage in conversation with our mayor. And so Jennifer Perez and I 
had a very extended conversation about the city of Norwalk, about our church, and I told her that we wanted to be engaged with the community. We wanted to find ways to bless the community. We wanted to find ways to be of help and service in the community. And so she drug Dennis over, who's the director of public safety for the city of Norwalk, and introduced me to Dennis, and, and we got to talking. And, and he shared with me this idea he has that he, he's looking to create what he called kind of a crisis response team. He's looking for people that he could call and say, hey, there's just been a major traffic accident down here at the corner of Imperial and Studebaker. I need some people to come and just be with the, the victims as they're sitting on the curb, just to maybe pray with them, talk with them. Um, I, this is kind of my idea. And I told him, we are all over that. Our church is in. We're, we, we want to do that. How can we help? Um, it was just an amazing, amazing morning. And so as Dennis and Jennifer and I talked, I asked them if I could pray for them. And uh, we got together in a little circle with our arms around each other's shoulders and had a chance to pray for them, pray for our city, uh, pray for them as they gave leadership to our city. It was an amazing morning. And I don't know what else God has, but the, the question that just is kind of at me is what can what more can we be doing as a church family together to impact the community where God has placed us and I just want to believe that there's some things that God wants us to do and I'm looking at the city website looking for more places where we could be involved and help um, I plan to call Dennis I want to call him take him out to lunch and say tell me more about your crisis response idea what can we do how can we do you need help connecting with other churches what can we do to create this I think it's like just a great great idea he told me I think it was two nights ago over there near where we were working I'm not quite sure where it was but in the evening time there was an elderly lady walking on the sidewalk guy driving a car came off of the street onto the sidewalk hit and killed her and took off and those kind of things happen all the time. And he says, that, that's the kind of situation where I, I need some people that would just come and be present and, and help and pray. And so, I don't know what's coming. You better get ready. Um, but that's my first question. What, what can we be doing together? And then my second question is, what can you do? What can I do individually in the places where God has put us to be on mission for Jesus? Instead of going to work to trade your time for money, what if you went to work being on mission for Jesus and also getting a paycheck? What if you went to the grocery store on mission for Jesus and also picking up some bread and some milk? What if you went to the barber shop on mission for Jesus and also to get a haircut. You know, we, we kind of think of it the other way around. Um, you know, I have my job, I have my family, I've got these tasks I have to run. And, and what if we could see those tasks through the lens of the reason I'm doing all these things is because I'm on mission for Jesus. I'm serving King Jesus. I'm his ambassador. And along the way, I'm going to grab some bread and some milk or whatever. Um, that needs to be more and more a focus of my life, focus of your life. Do you have a sense today that you're on a mission for King Jesus?
You're his ambassador wherever you go, whatever you do. I read the story recently of David Borden. In the early 1900s, 1913, I think, he graduated from Princeton. And it had been in his heart for years to be a missionary. And it was in his heart for years to go reach Muslims. This is back in the early 1900s. And so David Borden, the heir of the Borden fortune, by the way, left Princeton, headed to China with a, with a focus on reaching Muslims. And on the way to China, he stopped in Egypt so he could learn Arabic. Because again, his focus was on reaching Muslims. And while in Egypt, he contracted spinal meningitis and died. Age 25. On his way to China to serve Jesus. There's dozens and dozens of stories like that. But David Borden's life was summarized by six words that he wrote in the cover of his Bible. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. Now wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if each one of us could come to the end of our life's journey with that sense of no reserves. What was the other one? <laughs> I got no, no retreat. There it is, retreat. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. No regrets. If we live on mission for Jesus, the way that the early apostles did as they were sent out. If we live on mission for Jesus, we should be able to finish life and say, no reserves, I gave him my all, I was all in. No reserves, no retreat, no regrets. Let's live on mission that way, huh? Can we do that? Let's do that. Lord Jesus, you have called us individually into your family. You've called us individually to be your servants. You've called us individually to be your ambassadors. To go forth with a sense of mission. And Lord, you've placed us here in this church family. That we might be an encouragement, a help. That we might function as a team on mission. And so we look to you, Jesus. We look to you to lead us. We look to you to guide us. We look to you with that expectation that we can listen to you and do what you say. And so, Lord, I stand here today as pastor of the church saying to you, I want to listen to you. I want to do what you say. I want to listen and do what you tell me to do. And I pray that for each one of us, whether here in this room or watching on YouTube, that each one of us would embrace that as well. Lord, what is it you want us to do? And help us to see in this portion of the scripture a pretty clear picture of what you're calling us to do personally and individually as well as together as the team at Norwalk Grace. Lord, we want to penetrate this city. Lord, we want to make a difference in Norwalk. Lord, we want your reputation to be enhanced and exalted and honored and glorified. We want this to be a, a city where you have honor. We want this to be a place where you're recognized as the, as the mighty God, the mighty King. 
So help us to do that as we go forth as your ambassadors. And whether that means pulling weeds, picking up trash, or sitting on the curb with a, a victim of a severe accident, remind us each day, each hour, we represent you, we serve you. Help us to do that well today, tomorrow, and beyond is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.
you this morning, the God of angel armies is always by my side. Ladies, if you pay attention to the bulletin this morning, there's a insert announcing uh, women events, the Women of Grace, Karis Women Now, uh, this fall with some dates, uh, some things I'm going to miss out on because I don't qualify. But uh, take a look at this. If you want more information, Janine is back in the Information Connection Center back there, and uh, she's got more information for you if you want to know more about any of these activities, any of uh, those events. Also, for those of you that are paying attention, Wednesday this week is what? September 1st, right? And so when September 1st comes, I mean, it's a brand new month, right? Some of you are tracking where Roy's going. And so on September 1st, we're all the way back, if you're reading with me in Matthew chapter 1. We'll finish this week at the Gospel of John, and we're going to circle back and start again in Matthew chapter 1. So if you're reading with me, pay attention to that. It's in the bulletin, and uh, follow along with that. I expected Eddie to answer my question that September 1st was Patty's birthday, but uh, he didn't. So, oh well. I, I think uh, Bill and Yolanda have a 30th anniversary coming up this week. So, uh, that's exciting. And Kathy, Cosina, they're watching. Their anniversary is Wednesday also. So lots of lots of reasons to give thanks and to praise the Lord. As I like to do from time to time, it's on my heart again this morning to suggest, uh, I know Beth's up here in this corner. I'm here. Dave's up here. Ron's in the back. Uh, if you'd like prayer, one of our elders would love to pray with you. There's a bunch of other people that are good prayer warriors. But if you'd like prayer with someone this morning, just to meet together and say, hey, pray for me. I've got something going on. You don't need to tell us what it is. But we'd love to pray with you, pray for you. Uh, that's just an exciting part of life for me. I love to pray with people and uh, pray for people. We came home yesterday from uh, our work project over downtown. And uh, Jesse was sitting up on the steps. In that building over there. And uh, he gets Wi-Fi there. If you, if you have trouble with your Wi-Fi at home, this is the place to come. Uh, it's a long drive for me, but I may do that too. Because the Wi-Fi here is much better than it is at home. Anyway, Jesse's sitting on the porch up there. and He's got a bag of snacks. He's got a drink. And he's got his phone. And I don't know what he was doing. But I walked over and got down on my knees in front of him. was chatting with him about life. And he's not going to play football this year. School's going good. He wants to play basketball. And I said, how's mom doing? Yeah, she's still in the hospital and whatever. And I said, well, let me pray with you. Let's pray for your mom right now. And so we just... Prayed together, you know. I prayed. He listened. I think, and uh, that—that's just a great gift that you can give someone to pray with them. Don't just tell them I'm praying for you. Pray with them. And so we've been praying for some folks in our church that have been sick in the last week. Uh, Carol Ann comes to mind. Others that have had COVID. And if you know who those people are, I, I just feel. I don't know that it's my job to announce that people have COVID, and so I'm not going to do that. But if you know, even just call them and say, hey, I'm just thinking about you, praying for you. Can I just pray with you on the phone? And I had the joy to do that yesterday with a couple of those folks. Um, prayer changes things, right? Do you believe that? So if you'd like to pray, all that to say this morning, if you'd like to pray with somebody, um, we're here uh, and ready to pray, and there's others that would love to pray with you as well. So have a great week as you go out those doors. That's our mission field out there, right? We come in here to get ready to go out there. So go on mission for Jesus. Our mission matters. It matters to the heart of God. Go on mission. Go with Jesus.